Hallelujah. I also wanted to mention that um, last Sunday, Ezra was playing in the Youth Symphony for Dearborn, Michigan. At the I told uh, David Damaris, he's not a fiddle player, he's now a violinist. But in the Youth Symphony, I thought that was, uh, they performed uh, last week uh, at the Performing Arts Center in, in Dearborn. So that's, uh, we are privileged to have him as part of our worship team. And I just appreciate that family, their servants' hearts, and their um, commitment to this house. I thank the Lord for that. Blessed be his name. Uh, if you turn to Hebrews 12, I just want to make a, a, a jump off point there. Because we've been looking at verse 18 where it says about, we've not come to the mount that was burning with fire and shaking with earthquake and so forth. We're talking about Mount Zion where Moses received the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant. But we've come on to Mount Zion, which represents the New Covenant, this, uh, the New Jerusalem, that all that is the Lord Jesus came to do as setting up the New Covenant and bringing forth a change in government, a change in covenant, a change in purpose. Blessed be his name. So... Um, in Hebrews 12:18, Mount Sinai is a picture of the old covenant with its foreboding characteristics and for the most part because the people chose not to have God speak to them directly. This impersonal and separate relationship with their God. Just think about that. It's hard, well, in some ways it's hard for me to conceive not be able, not being able to go directly to God myself. Not to approach Jesus. Not being ever rejected by coming to Him. Because I, I wasn't part of the setup of priesthood and so forth. Because they refused. People said, "We're afraid of God. Don't don't have Him talk directly to us." because we're afraid of the sin in our lives and that his presence is going to cause us to be killed. But we have a Savior that came. One who became approachable, touchable. A Savior that came to give his life for us that we might be able to spend eternity with him. Blessed be his name. So in Romans 10, verse 8, it says, For what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth, even in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. If you confess your, in your, with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he is God, or not that, that God has raised him from among the dead, you will be saved. 
See, that's what people stumble over so, so much is the fact that it can't be that easy. It can't be the fact that I get convicted of sin, the Holy Spirit convicts me, and that I can go to the Lord Jesus, ask him to forgive me, recognize the fact that he came to die for me, was dead, buried, and resurrected. See, that's the important part. Without him resurrecting, he had been just like any other prophet. Died and was buried. But it's the resurrection that changed everything. His resurrected life that is able to come in and be our resurrected life. The life that we, he has, we have. Thank you. So his, his whole purpose was to bring God near. We can't we can't understand the fact. It's inconceivable for us that we would have to go through some rituals, go through some other priest, and only once a year was the sins covered, not removed. Another big difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The remembrance was there every year on the Day of Atonement they were covered afresh, never removed. Just think about that. All your laundry list of sins that you did throughout your life, constant remembrance of them, and no hope of them being removed from your, that list. But the Lord Jesus, or Paul tells us in Colossians, it says that, that bill of sale, that, that list of sins has been blotted out. The word is obliterated, erased. It's no longer any record of your sin. Amen. My God, my God. Amen. No longer any need to have guilt for those sins. No, no longer walking under the shadow of what those were. He removed them and said, "Paid the penalty is paid in full. Hallelujah. There's no record of it, and the penalty has already been paid. Blessed be his name. Also says that, again, under the old covenant, there was no ability as a whole people, as Israel as a whole, had no ability to have a relationship with their God. Only a few in the high priest could come and go in and go make the sacrifices, go tend to the, in, into the holy place, tend the table showbread, the uh, altar of incense, and the candlestick, they could just do that, but only once a year could we, he be approached, and only by one person. 
They had no relationship. Just think about that. We, I'm afraid too often we take our relationship of God for granted. You know, he, we know he's always there. What if only you had once a year for somebody else to go in and you didn't know it was going to be accepted until he came back out again? But God came near. Bless you, Holy One. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Can we say amen? amen? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become, come into being, come into existence new. Thank you, Lord God. And all things are of God who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. My God. The heart of the Father has always been to have a people called by his name who were holy and separated unto himself. In Exodus 19, 6 it says, And ye shall be a kingdom to me, unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's been God's heart from the beginning. To have a, a kingdom of priests. People that would know him and be able to relate to him and bring others to reconciliation with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's been God's heart. But because the children of Israel were rebellious, well, they were stiff-necked and so forth, they were not um, willing to follow his requirements. Well, let's, let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 32. This ministry of re reconciliation, we have an example of that with, with uh, Moses in the Old Testament. He's one that was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Many of the things he did were, again, the Old Testament is full of foreshadowing of who Jesus Christ is and would be. Showing, showing his heart. In Exodus 32, because Moses was up on Mount Sinai, he had been gone for 40 days. And this happened, I looked up in my chronological Bible, they left Egypt in April time of the Passover. This was either uh, August or September after that April. It's been five, four or five months. Four or five months when God had delivered them from Egypt with all those ten plagues and because Moses is 
up on the mountain for 40 days. They said, we don't know what's happened to this Moses. Aaron, up, make us gods that we may worship them. 40 days. We shake our heads at that, but sometimes we wonder when we ask God, our prayer request is made and so forth, and it doesn't happen immediately, we wonder. And are we like the children of Israel? We revert back to our old ways, trying to figure it out ourselves, what we're going to do. When you ask the Lord for something, do you always have a plan B? A plan B. Well, in case God doesn't do it, I, I'll figure it out this way. Maybe I can do this, or maybe I can do that. Or if I take some extra vitamins, maybe that will take care of it. Well, four, uh, four or five months from God working miraculously, and they, of course, say they, they had been in Egypt for 400 years idol worshipers, so forth. That was their default setting. So they call Aaron and say, make us a god. And They said, break off all your gold earrings and so forth, men, women, children. And he said, we threw it in the fire, and he, the word of God says, he gravened it, it came out a golden calf. I thought it was interesting when Moses came down and says, we threw in the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> hmm. Isn't it interesting when we're confronted with some of what we have done, the excuses we bring up. You know these people. They're stiff-necked, they're stubborn, they're, they're always looking for trouble. And I just th threw the stuff in the fire and this calf came out. And when they had come out, he, uh, Aaron said, okay, tomorrow we're going to have a festival and worship this, this God, this golden calf. And it says something very, to me, very sad, is that he said they prepared peace offerings and burnt offerings to this God. They went through a religious function, motion, because they knew that's what's supposed to be done to a false god. We have to be careful that we don't offer ourselves and our purposings to something other than the true and living God. Are we bowing down to things that, that may sound good, look good, but are not God? And the world is bent on being, you being pseudo-religious, in other words, a substitute religion. These things is good, these are good, and that's good, and this is good, and that's good, but is it godly? Does it bring you closer to God?
Oh, to make you a better person. I'm not interested in being a better person. I'm interested in being a godly person. Because the better is the enemy of the best. Well, we can, be, we can feel good in ourselves about doing certain things. And that's fine. But does it take the place of worshiping our God? Does it really change anything? Does it change you? Let's continue. So they come, they're coming down, and, and so they come down, and the Lord said unto Moses in verse 7, chapter 32, Go and get down, for the people which he, uh, thou broughtest out of the, uh, the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. The word is destroyed, to, to corrupt, to uh, go to ruin. The verb tense is the fact that it is done intentionally. They intentionally have done this. They have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, Those be the gods, O Israel, that have brought you up out of the land of Egypt. How absolutely deceived they were. And the world hasn't changed. They want to do everything they can to bring deception in your life so you think that you're worshiping the true God and it's not even close to him. Blessed be his name. There's a lot of gods out there. But there's only one true God. There's a lot of religion out there. But only one true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed be his name. Let's continue. <clears throat> Verse 9. The Lord said unto, unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is thy stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. God was willing to just wipe him off the face of the earth and start new with Moses. But listen to the character of Moses. Hmm. This is why I'm saying he's a pattern of a new covenant ministry. And, lo, and the Moses besought the, the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does thy wrath wax hot against thy people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt? with great power and with mighty, a mighty, mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief you did bring them out, and to slay them in the mountain, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn, your, your fierce wrath, uh, turn from your first, uh, fierce wrath and repent of the evil against the people. Remember 
Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thy own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand in the sea and so forth. He approached God on his character. You gave your word. And what does it say? And the Lord repented. He said, I won't destroy him. Reminded him of what he had said and what his purpose was, to have a people that would be kings and priests unto him, a devoted people. Let's continue. Let's drop down to verse 23. They have said unto me, make us gods. This is Aaron's excuse. He gets in there and he said that they had caused the people to be naked. Now, what, what we think of naked is, and uh, some of the commentaries said that the Egyptians sometimes were very lewd in their worship. So, but he said, they said, really this word means that they had, were unruly. And what they had done through their worship of this God, they had taken their covering off of protection from God and given their enemies ability to attack them. Hmm. Made them unruly or disorderly. And in doing that, the protection of God's hand was removed from them. Yes, it does matter what we do. If you want God's provision, you have to do it God's way. Want God's result, do it His way. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Back in verse 25 and on down, he stands up, Moses stands up and says, Who's on the Lord's side? And the tribe of Levi stood up and said, he said, come out to me. And they, they came out. And so, and he said, it seems like a harsh thing. He said, get every man their sword and go through the, through the congregation and slay your brother and your neighbor and so forth. 3,000 men were killed that day as a judgment against them. But here's where the separation came. It went from the whole nation of Israel being kings and priests to a tribe. Who's on the Lord's side? There was a separation made there. So therefore, that's why all the priests and so forth came through the tree, tribe of Levi and the seed of Aaron. So there was that separation. But then there was Jesus. And Hebrews tells, 7 says, says, because there was a changing of 
the priesthood, changing of the covenant that required a changing of the law. Well, the priest came through the Levitical order, Aaron's order. Well, this priest arises out of the order of Melchizedek, ministering out of endless life. Because the Aaronic priesthood, the high priest was the high priest only as long as he lived. But Jesus lives forever and remains forever a minister of righteousness and reconciliation. But can you see where Moses stood in the gap and said, Lord, forgive them. As you go down further in verse 32, he stands before the Lord and says, Lord, if you wipe these people out, he went back up to the mountain and was conversing with the Lord. And he said, if you wipe these people out, blot my name out of your book. The word is obliterate. No sign of it. He put his eternal hope at jeopardy. Anybody get the gravity of this? He interceded for them. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save us to the uttermost, to the full extent of divine ability. Where does the, the extent of the divine ability, where does that end? He said he's able to save us to the uttermost. There's no place, no authority, no power that goes beyond his uttermost. Can you understand that? Blessed be his holy name. There's only other one time it's found in the New Testament, and it's the negative of that. When the woman was bent over and had no power to straighten herself up, that's the word there. There is no ability, human, no human ability to straighten herself up. And Jesus touched her. Boom. She stood erect. Can you understand? She had no physical ability to straighten herself up, but one touch, one word from the Lord Jesus Christ, and all her inability became ability. How about us? Too often we say, I can't do that. I don't have that ability. But one word from the Lord Jesus Christ, one enabling, powerful word, enables you to do anything and everything he says he wants you to do. Can you understand that? You begin to see the parallels between Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ. The old covenant, Moses being the pattern of the new covenant ministry. He stood in the gap. Jesus ever makes intercession for us. He said, when, the Lord was, when God was willing to 
annihilate Israel. He said, if you would do that, take my name out also. Are we willing to lay down our life for a friend? No greater love have any man than this, than he lay down his life for a friend. Lay down our life enough to go and pray and prevail for them in the situation they're in. Lay aside what you are going to do to spend time before the altar of God and weep and pray and touch God for them and move his hand. Bless you, Jesus. In chapter th uh, Exodus 33, verse 12, it says, Moses said unto the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you shall send with me. And I said, I know, and you said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Here's Moses, and he said, Well, back in 32, it says, uh, the Lord Jesus said, uh, Moses said, Lord, you say I'm to go, but I don't know where to go. And you said you'll be with me. But if unless, unless you're with me, I'm not going anywhere. He was totally dependent upon the presence and the purpose of God. How often do we go in a direction and he's not going with us? Do we have the determination that, God, unless you direct us, we're not going? Well, said, I know your name. Or name there means character and it means all that represents that person. It's just not a name. It's the authority that goes with that person. It's everything that comprises that person. When Nancy, you, you, whenever you think of Rex, you think there's a picture that comes up before you of who he is. His character his goofiness, whatever. That's, what, that's the idea that's there. It's not just a name. It's a representation of the character and who he is. And you shall call his name Jesus. What does that word, what does that name mean to you? Who is he to you? He asked the disciples, said, Who do men say that I am? They said, Oh, prophet, and so forth and so on. He said, No, but I want to know who you say I am. God's still ask, asking that question. Who do you say I am? Peter said, Thou art the Son of God. 
Is that who he is to you? And I'm not talking, not talking about just lip service to that. When you're saying thou art the Son of God, that means you are Lord of my life. All that I say, all that I do I, is held in your hand, and I seek after you. Blessed be his holy name. And he said, I'll go with you. And Moses says, if you don't go, we're not going. Have we come to that point? I said, Lord, if you're not going to go, I'm staying here until you will go. Or until you change my heart. So it's right for me to go. Let's continue on here quickly. verse 13 of chapter 33 uh, says if it please me, uh, if we are pleased with uh, me teach me your ways so I may know uh, you and continue to find favor with you remember that this nation is your people and the Lord replied my presence will go with you uh, and I will give you rest and Moses said if your presence does not go uh, with us, do not send us up from here. And how will we, anyone know that we are, uh, you are pleased with me and with the people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from your people and your people from the other people of the earth? It's his presence that distinguishes God's people. It's his presence that distinguishes you from everybody else. Do you have that reputation? Now you can take this two ways. You're different. The world says you're different because you're weird. But we're supposed to be different from the world. There's an abiding presence that's to rest within us that makes us different. We should not try to be conformed to the world. We would be conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. If people can't tell us, tell any difference between us and the world, then there's something wrong. And it's not wrong with him. Help us, Lord. Search our hearts. Verse 18 says, Moses responded, show me your glorious presence. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's where his presence is. In his face. In his face. In, when he's talking about it in 30, uh, 32, he says, No one has seen my face and lived. I said, I want to see you. He said, Well, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And I'll pass by you, and you'll see my hindy parts. You'll see my glory. But in a, another chapter or so, 
It talks about Moses taking the tabernacle and putting it outside the camp. And when he goes in, the cloud, cloud of glory would come and said, and the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as he does with a friend. We have the privilege of being able to talk to him face to face. Blessed be his name. In verse 21, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place, a standing place, a station, a post, an office beside me. And you may stand upon a rock. That's the rock Christ, our chief cornerstone. He told Moses this. But in the New Testament, it says, in Ephesians 2, 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's a place for us. The throne room of God. The purposes of God. Sitting together with him in heavenly places. That's his desire and his call for us. His upward call, if you will. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, he could be on the earth here and still in the presence of, of the Father. And as he is, so are we in this present world. We can be walking here on earth and still be in the presence of the throne room. Blessed be his holy name. Revelation 3.21 says, To him that who overcomes... Well, grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father on, in, on his throne. That's the end, end game here, is to him that overcomes. Overcomes what? Sin, the flesh, hell, and death. Our biggest problem is Not that we're not spiritual, but we're also still too fleshly. How many, don't answer me, but how many decisions do we make that are spiritual in juxtaposition to how many we make out of the flesh? And I'm not just talking about getting, make a decision and get all goosebumpy and so forth. But there's a, a peace that comes when we make a godly decision. How many, how many know that when you're just struggling with something and you're weighing it back and forth and so forth? You, got, you may have made a list of positives and negatives and try to balance it out, out logically and... You may have more negatives than you do positive, but God says, do it that way. And you say, yes, Lord, and immediately it becomes a peace. When people ask me about making decisions, I say, follow his peace. Not the peace of just making a decision, but his peace. 
there is a difference. When it's just your peace, the next day you may be questioning that. But when it's his peace, there's that settledness. Here it is. Here's my direction. Here's my purposing. He's called me beside him. And I know what direction to go in. Blessed be his name. In John 17, which is actually the Lord's prayer for us. Father, it is my desire that those, uh, these whom thou hast given me may be by my side where I am, so they may see my glory. They may see my glory, which ye have given unto me, because thou hast loved me before the world came into being. He's called us to his presence, called us to his glory in heavenly places. Let us not settle for anything less than that. Don't settle for anything short of the glory of God. He's promised it to us. He's given it unto us. Let's enter into it. Whosoever will may come. You know, we have the parable of the the sower and so forth, and you have 30, 60, and 100 fold. All of them had the good seed. All of them had, uh, those three had good, good ground. And I've pondered and said, Lord, what makes the difference? And what it seems to settle in my heart is that the application of the Word of God is directly proportional to their fruitfulness. If you obey the word of God, 30% of the time you'll be 30-fold. And it does have ramifications in the kingdom of God. If you do a two-thirds or 60-fold, so forth. But because there is that third choice to him that overcomes, there is a ramification in that you will sit with me in my throne it's our choice it's our will whosoever will where does your will take you what does your will allow to work in your life let's stand please Again, I thank you for all those that uh, helped with the cooking, uh, our flap, uh, jack flapper or uh, pancake flipper or whatever, and all of them, uh, and all the other dishes that were brought in. It was very, very good, excellent. Uh, you probably have enlarged the ministry this morning, and so, but anyway, uh, and also for Clark and
several that were cleaning the the parking lot, so we appreciate that. And uh, it takes it takes a, a whole unit. It's not one person. It's not two per people. It takes a whole church, a, a whole community. And I thank God for you. And Father, we just ask truly you come and seal this word to our hearts. Lord, we thank you, my God, that you have a plan for us. You have an opportunity for us. That whosoever will may come. Lord, we can come as close to you as we desire to. We thank you, my God, that you're not holding us back. Your promise and your desire is not, is not uh, conditioned on our goodness, but upon your goodness. You're open to us, my Lord. Your hands are outstretched. Lord, give us the desire, my God, to climb to the highest and the greatest uh, positioning in you, my God, because of you, because of wanting to be like you. We thank you, my God, for this privilege, for this opportunity. Let us take advantage, my God. Bless this precious people. Thank you, my God, for all that they are to you and to us. Bless them greatly, my God. Be with those that are uh, traveling, my God, and going and seeing family. Give them safe journeys uh, there and back. Bring them back safely to us, refreshed. And rejoicing, my God, for the, uh, the greatness of their God. So we bless and praise you, my God. And we just commit all these precious ones to you. For there's no greater care, my God, and no greater protection than being in your hand. And we thank you for this in the mighty and holy name of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. The Lord bless you.